I think is at the end we're all looking to understand who we are through films. What I've always wanted to do is uh, take pictures. I believe that in this world everybody is uh, born equally. Because this is how you change your little piece of the world, by doing what you love. A script or, uh, or an idea, I have to like brew it like the perfect cup of tea. As recent university graduates with a lack of job prospects and a lot of free time on their hands, especially now, Pauline and I attempt to be quizzical, intelligent and active women on the hunt for juicy nuggets of advice, news and insight. So, RLC Sounds presents to you Creating Waves. Today we are joined by Emily Badescu. She is a conceptual artist who experiments with narrative through installations, video art, sound pieces and performances. Hi Emily. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. We're good. We're good. Welcome yeah. to your boat. Yeah. <laughs> what is the name of your boat? My boat is called the Matthew McConaughey. Nice. Yeah. Are you a big fan? Um, I was just kind of whacking my brain, I think, for a pun. Um, but yeah, I'm also a fan. And uh, where are you sailing from? I'm sailing from, yeah, so my, my roots are in art, in conceptual art, um, but I'm now, I'm now making more documentaries. Um, so I'm, I'm sailing from where that all started really, which was kind of experimenting with camcorders um, in the Ashdown Forest, which is where I grew up, um, well, in a village nearby. And just kind of the drizzle of England, pints, using Windows Movie Maker to edit with and just doing really low budget filmmaking. I remember Windows Movie Maker. Oh, did you use it as well? Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, that, that brings back memories. Honestly, it was, it was, it was great. <laughs> oh, I never, I never used it. I felt also left out of this. <laughs> I used to use that in um, LimeWire. Do you remember LimeWire? It's like toy and stuff. I do oh, remember LimeWire. Yeah, we're definitely like showing our ages here, aren't we? <laughs> it's, it's so bad. Like I feel, I, I always thought that we'd be, you know, the kind of technology, digital generation, but we're definitely not. I think the generation below us who's using TikTok and Snapchat is oh, yeah. way more up to grip with it. Yeah, I'm not on TikTok. No, I'm yeah. not either. I feel so old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, definitely not. And uh, where are you sailing to? Um, okay, well, see, I don't really feel like I have, you know, a specific destination for where I want to go. I kind of enjoy each project. I kind of see it as, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm sailing to lots of little islands and I'll, like, enter one. I'll, like, you know, I'll... um sort of arrive to one island and that will be like a project that I'll collaborate on and um, I'll stay there and I'll work on it until it needs, you know, it's finished. Um, and then, yeah, I feel like each project sort of determines where you move on to next. So kind of at the moment, I know that I'm sailing to you know, the one I'm working on at the moment, and then hopefully that will lead on to the next one. But then eventually, like I do have loads of daydreams um, and my kind of grand plan at the end of it all, once I sort of sailed the seas of documentary making and filmmaking and I've learned enough, is to um, settle down in the desert and do experimental sound art 
um, and kind of live the hermit life and study the stars. And that's my dream of when I'm an old lady. What is it that draws you to the desert in particular? So nice. Like I've, I've gone like just to kind of visit quite a few. And every time I go, I really just want to stay there for like, I don't know, four months or something. I guess, you know, you have this idea when you think of a desert, you think of the Sahara Desert, or you think of just kind of sand dunes. But, you know, the for instance, the Chihuahua Desert um, in Texas and Mexico, you like I remember when I went to visit and um, I was kind of camping in national parks and you drive and you have so many different landscapes. So you've got, um, you know, you'll be in these kind of mountains and then you have rock formations and then you're kind of, I don't know, I just love the, the different rocks and colours and kind of that that sun bleached feel that all the landscape has so i was just to say like U utah looks amazing with the rock formations and the like uh crevasses Definitely. almost is it crevasse i don't know but... <laughs> that's basically my obsession <laughs> and what would you say like what island you're on right now like what are you working on and how did you get to that island <laughs> yeah i've on two islands two very like, skateboarding related islands <laughs> no just skate just great concrete and um only skateboarding <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i'm making a, a series uh kind of because i sort of okay let me think about this so yeah this is something i've been working on for quite a long time just in between other projects and it started off because i kind of started learning to skateboard as an adult after university um and so i i it was yeah it was at this sort of time where um where i was just out of art school and i had a feat like a narrative film that i was trying to write and i was trying to get um, funding for and um i wasn't quite sure you know i wanted to stay in the art world and i wanted to kind of make things in that realm like moving image work um, but then I realized that once I left university and I left that bubble and I kind of I moved straight to Brighton after studying in London I kind of left the whole community and I realized that actually it's really important to have that to kind of make you to, to kind of surround yourself with creatives to kind of bounce ideas off each other and stuff like that um, so so when I moved to Brighton, I realised that actually it was really hard to kind of just make whilst also living in a new city, trying to find work and kind of figure things out. Um, so I sort of started anyway, like aside from that, I started learning to skateboard because that's something I always really wanted to do. And uh, a friend of mine used to skate. So we both sort of went to the level which is in Brighton together. Um, and then I got like completely hooked and I loved it. And for me, it was this kind of you know hobby like something separate to thinking about making constantly um but then the more time I spent um there the more time I spent kind of meeting different people and kind of being in that community I just started getting really inspired by the like the stories that I was seeing out in the world and seeing like surrounded by them so um so it kind of it's funny because it started off being this hobby um skateboarding and then i kind of totally refocused my attention and started filming this documentary and just kind of bringing my camera to the skate park every day interviewing all the different types of people who come like because you've got the mothers who come in the morning with their kids and then you've got people who are there all day and then you've got different types of people who come at night so it was just like 
yeah, really interesting to kind of also be learning something while at the same time making a film about it, which wasn't very structured then, but it kind of, it's funny because it started off as this hobby, then became my passion project, and then it's like my full-on focus and an absolute obsession. So that's my one thing, that's grip tapes, and I'm kind of, I've been filming it for about two years now, and I've gone to America, and I filmed there, and I've I filmed in Spain as well. Um, but then I've got another, <laughs> another island which is nearby which is also skateboarding related and that's just a that's a feature film um about skateboarding <laughs> they're very connected islands and yeah <laughs> i do i am interested in other things too but mainly skateboarding incredible and do you feel kind of you were talking earlier about coming from con like conceptual art and now doing more documentary how do you feel like that process happened from going one to the other? It kind of, I don't feel they're separated. Um, I'm definitely still inspired by a lot of art and kind of, I look at kind of a lot of filmmakers who don't kind of, they don't feel the need to sort of maybe categorize themselves very rigidly. I did though, it was a natural progression personally like as a style of making I preferred the idea of especially starting out and not having much experience with high budgets or not having the funding you know just kind of the idea of having to sort of organize um films that included like actors and scripts and a set because that was the sort of stuff I was writing um beforehand which was based on the art that I had been making whilst at university so it's not like high not really high budget stuff but still it you know needed a set that I had to kind of create and um what I found was when I kind of transitioned to documentary was just like how free it was to be able to tell stories just using my camera and to go and and kind of meet people who were better than the characters I could have written and having like these really natural um, conversations that were better than, you know, I could have tried to script. So it just felt really free. And also I felt like I could be around, there was that social aspect because I sort of, the way I was making it was, I guess, more in line of maybe anthropology or just kind of sitting there. I didn't have much of a, of a kind of concept beforehand. So, just that idea that I could kind of like see what was happening in the world and respond to that. Um, it was quite, yeah, just to be outdoors and to be kind of influenced by all these people versus that kind of solitary sitting and writing. I mean, I, that's not, that's just my own experience because of, of art making. That's definitely not how every, you know, artist makes art. You know, there's so many different ways that you could be doing that. But that's, yeah, that's what I found drew me to documentary yeah that makes sense and I think I like the fact that you said that the two are not separated and they kind of go one from like you know they still fit in the same in the same place yeah even now I'm kind of still you know it's funny because I, I went straight from only conceptual art to very much kind of commercial film and documentary and now I'm looking more at kind of there's a few um you know submission processes that I'm applying for um, and it's really nice to, to actually bring in both those worlds that I've been kind of operating in and think of like new work that's merging the two. I don't know if you've ever seen like Chris Marker's work. He 
he was a kind of experimental documentary maker artist i quite like the kind of non-narrative slightly poetic you know you can add lots of different elements into film there's no rule yeah definitely i think it's nice when well more than nice i think it's amazing how with film you can kind of go beyond the format that you're kind of taught about or that you watch all the time on tv and kind of you can go further than that and I think that's it kind of brings it back to also having the windows maker when you're younger and you kind of just have no idea what you're doing but you just kind of put bits and bobs over each other and somehow it makes something completely different but I think it's great to be able to go into film and not have that like to be able to forget kind of the perception that you've learned and do something more experimental and I think it's yeah it, it takes a lot of guts but actually um, it should be done more because there's so many it's such a great medium yeah definitely definitely you know like some of my favorite filmmakers um like you know david lynch or you know others like artists like susan hiller and, and chantal ackerman they're kind of all i guess there's that idea i guess you can kind of lead someone and you can use the format and kind of and then you can break that and i guess i think that's what i i think is quite good and i think what i enjoy with when there's I don't know there's a well-crafted film that kind of the reason I'll I'll take most interest I think in a story is when you're kind of guided and maybe there are like the conventional rules but then they get broken um or disrupted and yeah there's still that kind of sign that the filmmaker is not in control but kind of knows what they're doing I think that's kind of like that's what I love as a viewer that kind of experience you know like Blue Velvet by David Lynch kind of has like quite traditional elements and then they'll go into these sort of dreamlike spaces and you kind of yeah playing with both whereas sometimes yeah you've got the other end of things which are quite just moving image very experimental um, but I quite I, what I really enjoy is is merging the two and kind of playing with them and playing with your expectations of both of them. Have you um, ever read David Lynch's book? I feel like it's right up your street. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the name, but yeah, I loved it. I I underlined like every single um, sentence, I think. (laughs) Highlighters all over the... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I was wondering what narrative has stuck with you the most throughout your career. It doesn't have to be professional based it can be cute like communal or personal I think that's like a really interesting question because it kind of what is narrative (laughs) um I guess there when you when you ask that it kind of makes me think of maybe yeah societal narratives um that are kind of I guess more negative that we just sort of assume is true um anyone in particular that you that comes to mind yeah definitely I think I I mean these are the things that I try and challenge I guess and I think a lot of us are trying to challenge but one of them I think is this sort of notion that we um I guess women sort of expire (laughs) after 30 or that you yeah you've got to kind of try and achieve everything before maybe having kids or just aging in general and um even though you know I I don't believe that consciously I think women definitely have this kind of subconscious fear maybe that you have to sort of yeah if you know you've got sorry you've got um 
you know, with actors not getting roles later on in life or, yeah, yeah. I remember hearing Meryl Streep talking about when she turned 40 and she got offered three uh, parts as a witch in three different films. And I just thought, and she's like, I feel like people are trying to tell me something. (laughs) Like, I can only play this, like, uh, aging kind of old lady. Yeah. (laughs) At 40. That's crazy. It was 40. <laughs> it's on Graham Norton. We can link it later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's that. It's, you know, and I feel kind of, I guess, yeah, you, you see, I feel like that we've got this this pressure that you have to try and achieve everything before that time. Whereas I feel like men, because they see more role models, they see more examples of men, of themselves achieving beyond 50 and being successful and getting parts or having careers that there might be just less of a panic, I guess. And, but I think we're all, you know, we're all sort of pushed to, society does pressure us to kind of, to panic and to achieve because a sense of anxiety kind of creates more, you know, consumerism, I guess, to not feel comfortable. Do you like, feel that sort of pressure when you're working? Is that like in the back of your mind or is it something you're, you're very yeah. disconnected from and just are aware of? Oh, no, I, I feel the pressure. <laughs> but then I try and think about it. I try and tell myself that it's not true. And that's why I like I really I look up to women, especially like filmmakers who who just have started on later on or something like there's um. So the documentary maker, Jeannie Finley, um, I was listening to one of her Zoom talks recently and she she didn't start making documentaries until she was pregnant with kids. So I don't know. Like, and she's, ha- she's got a really inspiring um, filmmaker and, you know, her career in film, in documentaries specifically started as a mother and that's kind of, I think that's great and to see her working and to see other other women who who are so you know who maybe start later on as well just the idea that you know not everything I don't have to try and make everything this year and that it's more about kind of patience and um I guess the sense that you're you know maybe going to be making different things when you're 50 and 60 and like that there's a lot of time until then, I think is what I try and tell myself. Definitely. I, I always feel that pressure of having to do, you know, this and that by this age. And it's, it's, it really destroys things because projects can take such a long time and you only learn from everything that you do. And I feel when you put pressure on yourself, you start to rush things and you start to do things just to have achieved a specific um, thing. Whereas, it's all a learning process and I think this pressure just comes from society yeah definitely definitely you have to unlearn everything yeah no 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 exactly you have to just come again and similarly in with the what I was saying earlier with like how you come to to make a film you have to almost unlearn it come in like a blank slate and think how can I do this my way and not even think about what I'm supposed to do yeah I think that's that's definitely kind of something that yeah, coming from, not coming from sort of a film school background, something that I definitely was aware of when I kind of came onto sets and started getting, you know, work experience and um, being an assistant on things. There are so many roles and there's so many, like, there's so much hierarchy. Um, 
and it's interesting because it's just sort of tradition in a way um to kind of I don't know have some like these pecking orders it, it's kind of cool because like last year I, I made a documentary with the Toxo Productions and their whole method was that everyone's a co-director and you might think that's kind of utopian um and it wouldn't work and there'd be huge ego clashes um but we all sort of co-made this film and we all co-produced and co-shot and co-directed and it was really cool because like actually everyone was very collaborative and you know we still sort of managed to make a film um that i don't know it makes you question sort of why why there are, is that hierarchy i guess uh, i don't know i do think like roles are very important and having experts you know someone who's trained in in sound and it, it depends on different projects because if you're going to make like a huge feature film Hollywood blockbuster having you know 10 co-directors probably won't um I don't know won't result in the same thing I do um, so that it sounds like a really big like collaboration your project what, what what's yeah. it called and what's it about yeah this was called Nuestro Muro which in Spanish means our wall um and it was it, it was kind of following the story of a group of sort of young um, migrants who'd recently arrived to Barcelona and they were doing this kind of graffiti art training course so the it was sort of a charity that had created this training course for when people you're not allowed to work for like the first year that you arrive to um, a country so there are a lot of kind of skill developing courses um, to sort of help you become more employable. And what we found really interesting about, um, they're called Rebobin Art, um, was that they were kind of trained, it was a training course, but to become street artists. So it was using graffiti. Um, and the idea was that you would train and then maybe get work painting um, shop fronts and, and painting shutters and getting commissioned as an artist. And it was really great because I think I, I haven't really come across many sort of skills based training programs that are about fostering creativity and fostering personal creativity and seeing, you know, this group of young migrants as artists as well as just kind of having to sort of assimilate more like, have you know, helping them stand out through their skills and through their art as, as opposed to just kind of, you know, yeah, assimilating into um into the Spanish society. So yeah, we spent like eight months filming um, their progression. Um, you know, we saw them learning how to use stencils and learning kind of how to speak Spanish and yeah. And I mean, going on from that, so you can see sharks ahead in the sea. What are okay. your deepest insecurities? What do those sharks represent for you? Oh. <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh yeah, my deepest, the biggest sharks, the ones like lurking in the deep. Um, well, I think, so this is kind of, a, yeah, a bit of a deep one, but I did, I did have depression when I was a teenager um, and I got quite like I've had bouts of like real serious depression and once I sort of came out of it I think 
I had this sort of fear of just falling back into it at some point. Um, and yeah, just cause it kind of, you kind of lose all control, you know, all the things you, you might have um, energy to be making if you lose that energy and that will to kind of push those things forward, that all just sort of disappears. So I guess, yeah, that's kind of this fear that I've battled with is that um, being kind of losing that control again over my life if I sort of went into a really, really strong depression. Mm. What has helped you to, what has helped you or reassured <laughs> you, like, or it would have been like a coping mechanism for that then? Well, actually, I mean, just so time, I don't know, because I realised after that I I would probably kind of overwork to feel like I was making the most of feeling up maybe. So kind of feeling like I had to make the most of this time because, you know, who knows when it will go, this feeling of just sort of having to fill it with um, being as productive as possible. Um, and then exercising was something I did a lot as well, just to kind of feel like I had to kind of keep my emotions stable through exercising a lot. But then it's funny because last year, um, cause I sort of moved to Barcelona and I was in a new city again and I kind of, you know, it's, it's difficult, like moving house a lot and kind of trying to find rooms and you don't have your family and your friends. Um, and also I'd like just had a, a breakup before. Um, so it's kind of just feeling a bit like lonely and sad. And I feel like those feelings were quite, you know, um, what's the word? They were quite kind of normal considering the situation I was in. Like it was kind of understandable that I'd feel that way, but I kind of panicked and I'd, I'd feel kind of like I might be going back into a depression. Um, so I was like making sure I go exercising every day. And I had this like gym membership where you can go and try all the different gym things um, each day. And I'd go rock climbing. Um, and then I fell and I sprained my ankle. And actually that was such a relief because it kind of showed me that, so I couldn't exercise every day anymore. I couldn't even walk. <laughs> and I had to like, I went to my grandma's in Romania and it was interesting because the thing that I told myself was like the way to keep happy. Once that was gone, I actually felt so much better. Like I, I had, I felt like the pressure came off and I realized that I didn't need those little coping mechanisms to feel relaxed and to feel happy. It was kind of like I was sort of inventing rules and making things actually harder for myself. And once those things went, um, I don't know. I think I just realized that that the fear of becoming depressed was a block in itself and actually not being scared of it and not feeling like I had to kind of I don't know, do a lot of things to prevent it and just sort of feeling more secure that actually, you know, okay, maybe I will and that's fine and also it's you know, maybe I will feel sad and that's normal too. And that's not the same thing. Yeah. No, I think that's so important because I think when you, when you come out of being depressed, it can be so relieving. Um, you don't ever want to feel that way again, but inevitably you have to feel sad or upset at some point to like, even just know how to, what, like what happy, what makes you happy. And always without the two, how would you know what you're feeling? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And also, I guess that like 
that's not the same thing, you know, yeah, to kind of experience a spectrum of emotions um, and to feel like you kind of have your own back through those is something that, you know, I, I've been working on, I kind of, I meditate, you know, I've been trying to, I did this, I sort of found that actually when I was depressed back when I was at uni for a year or so. And that sort of helped that kind of just this little constant that you do. Um, and just that, yeah, the whole kind of philosophy in that is that everything's sort of transient, but if you sort of, if you can manage to create a, there's like a center in you that's like never really changing and constant. And if you can return to that place, through you know meditation even if it's only for five minutes whatever emotion you're in and whatever phase of your life you're in whether that's like you know tragedy or joy if there's this sort of calm space that you can access then you're less scared of those yeah those um emotions that you might feel through life yeah beautifully said (laughs) hopefully so it's so nice and refreshing talking about mental health as well I think especially in like you know in in film and tv and that kind of creative world um because it's so important and I think because you don't have the same kind of rules as other work possibly and because it involves a lot of even personal interests within your projects um it's so important to talk about yeah definitely like I yeah especially I think for freelancers as well like I think there's this obviously you know you have to constantly be your best self whether that's with clients or you know collaborating you kind of yeah you don't really especially if you're sort of working for yourself pushing yourself if you don't have a space where you can switch that off or you yeah it's hard because there's always a pressure to the I think as well there's this I find um I think which is really challenging for yeah freelancers which probably people who are employed wouldn't really under understand is that um you if you for instance don't get a job or you know something falls through you're always going to be kind of set doubting yourself so you know if you don't get much work for a month or something it's like you only have yourself to blame um and that's a hard one to to kind of to yeah to live with because for instance if you just get a paycheck every month you know you can kind of feel a bit demotivated whatever you're still going to work you're you're gonna you know what you're gonna get whereas if you might feel a bit low for a period um that will have a knock-on effect because you won't maybe try and get as much work or that and then you kind of then there's this kind of like self-loathing that might come in um and yeah it's just a bit I think you do have to be quite disciplined with trying to make I don't know just be really kind to yourself and um to sort of be able to work that way there's actually I I went to this sort of networking thing and I can't remember the name of the woman I think it was called the thing was called like creative I don't remember um but she she said a really good point and it was that like you know you have to be good to work with um, you, you know, we always try and be good to work with with other people, but you have to be good to work with with yourself. Um, and that kind of, I was like, wow, okay, like, 
yeah <laughs> there's also that makes so much sense because you're having so much time by yourself and you act as like your income you have to like travel a lot you have to work really odd hours and maybe like quite irregular yeah. like work patterns yeah exactly yeah and if you you know if you're sort of treating yourself you know badly if you're if you wouldn't want to be with yourself in those moments then you know what's the point because yeah you're going to be with you're going to be probably working alone for the majority of the time so yeah yeah exactly thank you so much amazing yeah this has been so fun thank you bye now many of you may not know about the situation since the 1980s the RLC once the world's fourth largest lake has been decreasing in size because of human activities, mainly because of the mass industrial scale of growing cotton for fast fashion companies. Today, 90% of the lake has disappeared. This has had drastic and devastating effects on those who live there, including high rates of disease like tuberculosis, a lack of protection from elements, and mass unemployment. In light of this, we are proud to announce our partnership with two charities from the Owl Sea region in Uzbekistan. The World Owl Region Charity works to relieve the horrifying effects of the Owl Sea crisis on Uzbek towns. Through partnerships with local initiatives and with a range of cultural and educational projects, they aim to provide and promote global support. The other charity is the Accelerator Lab of the UNDP in Uzbekistan, who seeks to cover the dried up seabed with Saxal, a native drought resistant tree as part of their project, The Green Initiative. This organisation is part of the generation who witnessed the disappearance of the RLC in real time. They wish to be the generation who changes the course of history and creates the RLC forest. We really believe in their cause and hope to provide a platform for their work.